Welcome to the podcast, Your Future in Sales and Marketing. A podcast that helps me make great career decisions. My name is Mike Dixon and I'm a professional sales and marketing recruiter. I love what I do, but my biggest frustration is seeing too many people not realizing their career potential. In this podcast, I'll introduce you to my network, an amazing group of business leaders in the biggest tier one organizations through to some super fast growth SMEs. They'll share their career journey and give you new advice and insights on managing your career and leading a function and a business. Join me, Mike Dixon of AXR Recruitment and Search to help guide your future in sales and marketing. In this episode, we meet Emma Quigley, Sales Director of Koala. Emma's path to Sales Director is pleasingly unconventional, a bit like the Koala business. We explore how a mindset to disrupt the norm has played out in Emma's career and in Koala's success. Enjoy. Well, good morning and hello and welcome everybody back to the Sales and Marketing Director Incubator, the program that helps you make great career decisions to maximize your potential. My name is Mike Dixon, Director of the Sales, Marketing and Category Practice here at AXR Recruitment and Search. Well, I say here at AXR Recruitment and Search, I'm recording from home today. And in the incubator today is Emma Quigley, Sales Director of Koala. And the theme for the session today is Leading Sales in a Market Disruptor. Welcome, Emma. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mike. That's all right. That's all right. Really looking forward to this uh, this conversation, Emma. And um, lots for us to get into and to add to our collection um, as we've been going through our guests this year. The first question is the same for everybody, which is, what's your favorite brand? And you can't say Koala or um, a brand that you've worked on or worked with, but uh, what's yours? Oh, I really want to pick Koala. That's not fair. <laughs> but I guess that with with my career journey, I'd have to pick a brand that's, that's a bit of a disruptor, a, a, a kind of in the marketplace. And uh, I'd pick, uh, for the brand that I'd pick, I'd pick Milk Run because it, it's also relevant to FMCG. And I know we've got a lot of FMCG listeners out there. And what I love about it is that it's kind of, it's the guy that's taken on Woolies and Coles and it's, it's a tough job, that game, and um, that they've taken something that Woolies and Coles weren't doing that well and made it much, much uh, stronger. So like deliver del- groceries in within 10 minutes and the app is so good, it's easy, uh, easy to use and it's frictionless kind of process. And, you know, not to mention that if we talk about the brand itself, like, you know, you, that they really focus on their their riders and make those integral a part of their campaign. Like they've got this like meet the milkos and that gives that real local feel of, of the, the milk run. Um, but it's also cheeky and fun. Like I don't know whether anyone's read about milk run, but they do lots of like kind of risque risque stuff as well like there was this troll that wrote six comments on their their website and then they wrote back to him publicly and said you're our best supporter and because of that we're going to give you a discount and the discount code was loyal troll 20 percent 20 percent off so they're just really fun that's very cool i actually haven't tried it yet i must say but uh, um I think I've got it because um, I know people that are now going. They're 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 hiring in people from the FMCG world and 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 building up what looks like quite a capable team actually. And and um, I can absolutely get it. So that's very cool. I love that loyal troll. Um, excellent. And, and outside of work, we're going to do a lot of of this conversation on you, your career, and and koala. But um, what's your passion outside of work? 
I think you've got to balance for me, I've got to balance being, you know, at a desk or in business or all, all day. And I like being in nature, I like being outdoors with my kids, my family. Um, I'm also a member of the, the surf club, which Bronte Surf Club, which I just love. And they're like a kind of second, second family. So I spend a lot of time time in, in the ocean. And but when you're doing kind of things that I don't know, more adventurous and a, a bit of risk, you just have a lot of a lot of fun and you make a lot of connections. So it's great. Fantastic. And uh, what, what was the surf club? Bronte, do you say? Bronte, yes. Bronte surf yeah. club, yeah. Yeah. How, do you, how often are you kind of down patrolling? You patrol like like eight to ten patrols a year, and then I do water safety with nippers with the kids, and yeah. you know they do a lot of training because you've got to be uh, rescue fit, so you do a lot of fitness down the beach. So it's great. Brilliant. Oh well, good, well, good on you. It's, it's a it's a fantastic um, uh, asset I think we have around the the, the shores of Sydney uh, and Australia, but uh, very uh, very viable indeed. So thank you for your service, Emma. Wow, um, thank you. Now uh, we're going to get to your career. Uh, as a reminder for those on a live call, guys, you're very welcome to ask questions. It was a chat facility. I'll make sure I put that chat facility up so we uh, I can see that. So is there anything we talk about that you think? Oh, I've got a point or uh, to make or a question to ask. Just Jump on. Um, I know most of you listen on the podcast. Sorry, you can't ask questions on the podcast. Well, you can, but no one's going to hear you. So that would be no much use. Um, okay. So, I mean, you, you had like 10 years or so in category, shopper marketing, some really big FMCG giants at the kind of the, the first part of your career. You worked at, you know, Goodman Fielder, Reckitt, Kellogg's, um, kind of got to that head off level. Then you stepped off that pathway, which is interesting. What, why did you kind of step away? I think, I guess, at that time, um, I felt like I'd taken things as as far as I as I could in the area. I'd, that you know, been in FMCG, I'd been in a similar kind of stream for for a long time, and I was finding it harder and harder to find new ways to 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 learn more. And if I think like when I first came to Australia from the UK, I joined Uncle Toby's, and it was the first company in Australia to do strategic category management with Glendinning we partnered with them and that was just really exciting and intellectually engaging and stimulating and you know I've enjoyed all all my roles and like the last role in FNCG my time at at Kellogg's you know learned deeply about brand about consumer insight about strategy and leadership and but after like kind of seven years in in like similar roles but you know different veins and different um, levels um, that that I wasn't really growing at the, the rate I wanted to, and I, I had read Sheryl Sandberg's book Lean In at the time, which said go mm. for go for experience, go for learning new things, and kind of that motivated me. Brilliant. Well, um, one of the things we talk about a lot at AXR and in the incubator is is you know do gather experiences that are going to give you breadth and perspective. That's only going to invest in your career potential going forwards. And you went to Luxottica. Um, for that kind of first step out. Now, I'm interested from their perspective, what do they see in you? Why did they hire you, do you think? Well, they knew I didn't have the technical knowledge or industry experience. That was obvious. I've never worked in eyewear. I've never worked in optical optometry or, or lenses. But they were looking for category management skills and, ex- and experience. And, and as you know, that's, that's, that's an area that's in high demand in, in any any industry and they felt that with the right attitude the technical stuff could be could be easily learned I mean I have to say they're like changing industry like that's their perspective but for for me changing industry wasn't wasn't easy you know like I experienced a lot of rejections a lot of 
nose and that I know you're doing recruitment there was there wasn't a lot of support from recruiters in in trying something something new and yeah so you had to I had to kind of keep keep trying to get to get to that place it, it isn't easy and I I think society and attitude to those changes is shifting and I think it looks excel- that shift will accelerate uh, particularly and I'm conscious of this because having seen my kids or ones at uni ones gone through uni and sitting in and some of the 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 um you know the careers talks and and the kind of perspective from the academics at university that they, they talk about um younger people coming through today with a wholly different attitude to career and that, and and if that that there has to shift the, the whole kind of game i i reckon so they think that people will have many more careers than they used to have so i think those paradigm shifts that you know you mate are, are going to be much more commonplace and less paradigm more just what you do but i i do understand the the uh, the challenges you have and and we had a session on uh, on this topic in particular uh, i forget which podcast uh, number it was but it was all around you know hire the outsider it's the best move you'll ever make and uh, I, I really i really enjoyed that kind of podcast in terms of just kind of you know, uh, trying to break down barriers on those moves. So I'm glad you've done it. And, and it's obviously been a, a great success. So um, give give us a summary of your mandate at Luxottica. So what did you go step into and how did you, once you got in, was it a big adjustment factor? Or was it, was it, you know, not so, not so tough? Well, like, first of all, I don't know whether people know like Luxottica, but it's kind of an optical retailer. They own like OPSN, Sunglass Hut, Ray-Ban, and they're the brands. They're vertically integrated. And it's just an amazing kind of success story because um Del Vecchio the owner was an orphan in Italy and he worked in the eyeglass factories and then he just rose just took risks and took opportunity after opportunity and rose to come up create something um amazing so within Luxottica there's a real entrepreneurial spirit that's alive today and I'll, I'll come back to that in, in a second but my my mind my mandate within everything there was to lead the lens lenses categories lead categories and deliver growth and that did also include leading buying teams which I hadn't hadn't done done before and I guess the challenge that kind of I had the buy the category to buying is relatively similar but really learning new products and they are quite technical products as well. And just giving me the time and space, they gave me the time and space and I allowed my time and space to, to do that and to understand the, the industry. Um, and it was something that, you know, I was ready and I wanted to make a change. So I didn't find that. I think when you want something and it's the direction you want to go with, then those things aren't hard, hard to do. I like the point you made there um, buying to category or category to buying, because there's a constant demand for category people, you know, and uh, we recruit in category and, and um, you know, we, we do a lot of work in that space. And one market we've not really tapped into is, is buying. Perhaps we should be looking at people who are in that kind of category buying side and saying, hey, look, there's another type of perspective in category and, and, and getting a talent flow between the two the two kind of, uh, you know, similar but different uh, professions. But you reckon that's, that's a, a kind of a bridge that could be gapped? A, a bridge oh, could be, def- definitely. I mean, I think if you've, uh, either way, because I mean, it's about negotiation as well, which is what you you kind of play a role in within within category as as well. I think that yeah. probably the key difference is um, is that you can like you have to as a in category you have to influence the retailer to make change, whereas a buyer you can you, you can drive that change more readily. Like you you own the retail footprint, so you can you can drive that. 
and I kind of something that like came to me is when I when I joined is I remember um, presenting an idea to my boss and, and, and saying yeah um, that's great and I said oh, I'll just do more analysis I'll just do whatever and I'll, I'll get some more details and he said no no it's a good idea you've done enough analysis just do it and that was like mm. oh right, okay like uh, <laughs> and then you had to kind of to relook at it and think is it the right thing to do because <laughs> like, uh, it was so quick and that was partly because of the entrepreneurial spirit of Luxottica but it's also that you can execute your ideas more readily when you're in on that retail phase. Yeah, that, that's that, that's a really interesting, different mindset and pace of decision making. Um, yeah. uh, did that shift? Because you then changed to a locally owned smaller business, George and Matilda Eye Care, as head of product. So, so when that was a, it feels again another really interesting experience to, to gather. What was that business trying to achieve, and and what were you able to do with 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 George and Matilda? Um, Georgia Matilda was a staff and it was aiming to be the third player, like an, a, a player of independent optometrists in, in Australia. And um, that was the goal of what it wanted to do. And, and I guess when I when I joined, we it was a blank piece of paper. Um, we had no stores, we had no products, we had no systems and, and processes. And together with a lead team and um, we built that we formed all those things we built ranges we we negotiated with vendors we formed systems and processes and you know I, I wanted to be part of that because it was just like for me at where I was wanting to go and um, just so exciting to be starting something from scratch and build up and when I left um George and Matilda we were you know at significant size yeah, and you, next was Koala, and we're going to get really into the the, the Koala experience, um, Emma. So you joined as category director. Um, first of all, when you look at a business like Koala, which is a real market disruptor, and I think it has this very kind of cool cachet from the outside looking in, people are always interested. So how do you get in? What's the recruitment experience like? What was it like for you? I guess one of their mantras is, think, uh, is that they don't, hire arseholes that's come straight from from the top and so I do feel quite validated that I'm hired and I'm still there and that I'm not an arsehole (laughs) according to their criteria um and like everything at Koala I guess um it's it's a fast process and when I kind of tell you through the process it doesn't sound fast but it was quick from start to finish so there's like a screening interview there's a uh, another formal interview there's a um a case study and then there's an interview with a senior leader but for me that was with the the CEO so it does sound like a long long steps but actually within I don't know seven to ten days I was um I was offered a role, so it's, it was quick. So I like that because every every stage is different. There's nothing worse than going through five or six interview stages and it's, and you're getting the same interview by five people. So it's great for them. They get five different views on you, but your experience is increasingly dull because you're just answering the same questions, but you described it there. Each phase is distinctly different and giving you a different experience and them a different view and you as well. So I, I think that's um, I think that's pretty good, actually, as a recruiter talking. But uh, um, And... I'm interested too, you know, as uh, whilst your background, you know, in, you had this category shopper background in FMCG, you've kind of gone into uh, Luxottica, Georgia, Mildred, and got into more buying and kind of then there was a whole operational side and uh, um, then George and Matilda. But as a category director at Koala, I know it's not, you, we'll, we'll go on to your current role, but um, what was that role like? What were you trying to do there? 
Well, category, the principles are the same in in, in most organisations, but I do feel wherever I've been, and this, it, like, it, it doesn't matter if it's established or, or not, is that I spend a lot of time kind of explaining and educating the kind of business on what category actually does, like it's some sort of witchcraft, you know, a little bit of price, a little bit of promotion, a bit of range and, and category growth. So that's constant, and that that was the same kind of at Koala, but ultimately the goals are the same, and that is we've got to grow categories and we've got to do that profitably, and that's kind of that's constant in any role. Um, uh, I guess the the big difference for me with with Koala um, is that it's my, it was my first move to pure e-commerce play, so there there wasn't. I wasn't I wasn't a, a manufacturer I wasn't a, a retailer with stores I just one one shop front now we've got more than one shop we've got stores in Japan and South Korea now we've opened other things that aren't just e-commerce but at first it was just a pure e-commerce um, play and that that was very very different and, and not to mention furniture which I'd not worked in in before and you know e-commerce is very dynamic and I'm still learning today about uh, you know, it changes rules, legislation can change, and that changes your your dynamic within with, within the retail environment. Where was your ecom skill set when you when you went in? Were they hiring you for that, or was that something they thought, you know, what we can dial that up as other things we see in you? I had very little e-commerce experience. So in Luxottica, I think 10% of the business was e-commerce with contact lenses basically online. And in Georgia Matilda, we, you know, it was, it was really bookings, booking appointment bookings online rather than e-commerce sales. So I had very limited. So I wasn't hired for my e-commerce um, experience within Koala. You're hired because you weren't an arsehole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Now you're the sales director now, which is um, which is cool. We'll get into that role in some depth. But um, talk about where that fits into business like Koala, and, and and what are you responsible for in that role? It, for sales director in Koala, uh, it's like responsible for growth again. You know, it's making it's across channels, it's across price, it's across promotion. It's making sure that we're all aligned to those um, things in the market. So yeah. It's 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 a it's driving growth and mobilizing people against that growth to de- to deliver that. And the KPIs are therefore revenue, profit, share, the usual kind of KPIs you find in a sales role. Yes, yeah, they are. I guess um, shares harder for us because we're in a lot of new and established um, categories. Obviously, mattress is is easier, but um, share within newer categories is is is. Um, is tricky because we can't measure it in the same yeah. same way. Share a voice, you know, we can we can get some data there, but yeah, share. Okay. I like I like it, you know, it's because it seems like a radical move, right? You kind of you clearly made big bold steps. You got a track history of of doing it differently, which must be one of the things that Koala liked about you. Um, but it's not the traditional path to sales director, which is part of the whole point of why we do these the incubator is to say to people, hey, there's not one path to that role. But it's, so it's it, and it never is as linear as everybody is, is, assumes. But for Koala to to put you into that role, is, is that just is that quite normal for them to kind of um, take somebody who hasn't really run a sales function or had a you know a lot of sales roles and saying you know what you're now in charge of sales? I guess they've been big supporters of kind of cross functional um, experience and kind of not always staying in your lane. 
Um, and, and some examples of that, that that we've got is my last boss, my last two bosses really have been ex, ex-McKinsey. And uh, Vicky joined the, the the team as head of strategy and now she's in head of VP of operations. And there's other people, someone joined as, um, as, as projects and has worked in, as now a pro- uh, product technical manager lead. So they're really cross-pollinating and sharing those experiences across across different factors. And, you know, as the sales director of, of, of Koala, I'm also on the technical lead team, and that's to really, you know, share, bring commercial thinking into the tech team, but for me to also understand the commercial, the, the tech reality of what we can deliver from a commercial and sales perspective. Great. It's interesting when you, you say when you're, you're- ex-boss is McKinsey because one of the things we talk a lot about in the program and in the early days particularly was the McKinsey uh, T model which is how they um, the McKinsey measure the upward mobility of potential leaders in organizations and and um, for them it's all about yes you probably got some sort of you know functional strength and then you have this which is the, the, the vertical and the T and the horizontal line is experiential breadth you've got and to them giving people experiential breadth is a great thing because it just gives that base to them become more senior leaders so it's curious that uh, you know it makes perfect sense why some of the McKinsey would be in your business now um, I want to get into Koala Emma and as consumers myself included we have two Koala mattresses now in our house um, you know most of us will have an awareness of Koala as a disruptor some great kind of ad campaigns um but a disruption initially, certainly in a traditional market like mattresses and, and subsequently furniture. Talk to us a bit about that. So, first of all, how has Koala managed to, managed to disrupt the market? It, it was seven years old now, and and really, it's gone from in the first twelve months. I think it went from zero to thirteen million. So it's a really fast fast start and a lot of kind of exposure but I think you know a lot of people can kind of get hung up on the sensational side of that but really when you boil that down it's it's really about the fundamentals and, and what I say is you know you've you've got two koala mattresses I've got four koala koala mattresses at home but they really do have a have a great product um, and they they offer great service I mean delivery in four hours it's amazing like 120 nights Free returns, free delivery, free metro delivery for your mattress, free and fast del- hassle, no f- free returns. So you could take your mattress, you could sleep on it for 120 days, and, and and send it back if you don't like it. So fundamentally, they had a great product and a great offer. So that you know, we talk about disruption, but it's getting those things right that kind of paved the path. They also got, they were kind of advocates and promoted getting the reviews. So they got lots of reviews and promoted those reviews so that people rate their products. So there's some validation for when people are shopping to do that. And a, and a bit like Milk Run, as they made it easy for shoppers, it wasn't easy to buy a mattress, you know, to go in, you had to, you had to wait three months for it to get it delivered. And then he didn't like it. And then it, you know, it didn't come. So it was really making that process uh, frictionless, not not just the whole process, not just the site, the website experience. So I think like, you know, and good value. So like, you know, that's the mix that caused that like that, that fueled the disruption. And then if you think about their marketing, which is really, really amazing. And and, and what they do is they, they create great content and and that really work that content really works well on social and social social media. And then they promote that content. 
And if you think back, and if, if anyone remembers, they did the wine glass test. And for anyone that doesn't, what I remember. The red wine glass on the mattress and then people jump on the mattress and their wine doesn't spill. And I, I can't remember the number of views, but it was phenomenal. And that like kind of rose them them to fame. But they, they also do other disrupting things in, in marketing. Like, for example, we donate to save koalas and they did a, a story that they'd saved all the koalas already. They were doing so well. They'd sold so many mattresses. They saved all the koalas so they overnight with they 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 rebranded their site Wombat and said because we've saved all the koalas we're gonna change the brand to 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 Wombat and they got like kind of a lot of PR exposure for that. Yeah, so it's um, interesting, isn't it? As you talk through it there, I kind of go, yeah, okay. I, I all of you meant you're saying is is my kind of view and my experience of the business as a consumer. Um, and everything on its own is not radical, but you put it together and it kind of and you, you do it all well, then it then it then it works. But um, I, I love that wombat. I missed that, but I think that's very clever. <laughs> um, so what's the mission now? You know, when you kind of you're part of that leadership group, you know, so um, you, your role is, I guess, to bring that to life in the business. But uh, talk us through what what's the mission for Koala now? Well, I always get mixed up with vision and mission, so I'll just put them all together. But like our, yeah, our okay. vision is to, to create happier, healthier habitats, and the mission is better furniture experiences for the world in mind. That's that's our our mission and, and vision. But um, in in terms of bringing that to life, what that means is like you know we donate one percent of profits to the to the planet. We've been given over two million already to World WWF to help the plight of the koalas. We, you know, in-house we have volunteer days where, where we, you know, only last week we were all planting trees in our local community. We're, we're real ad- we don't sell products that are harmful to animals. We put animal welfare first, uh, welfare first, and we don't, for example, sell anything leather. Like we wouldn't sell a leather a leather couch, and we reduce waste in. In, in I guess all all that we do so whether that packaging whether that business process delivery and um you know we offer like recycling services for the mattresses so we offer a way for people to get it picked up and reused and we are like working towards we're not there yet and um, we're working towards full circularity so that products stay in the process for longer and have another life somewhere else and we've recently owned, opened Koala Second Home, which is uh, out in Campbelltown, which is all the products that get returned or products that are excess. So we're not le- we're not wasting them. They're not they're not getting in landfill. They're, they're, they're carrying on their life somewhere 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 else. And um, and I guess like you know beyond the environmental side, which is you know passion of the of Mitch, the owner, but like of people that that work there to drive. It, it's about kind of diversity and inclusion and they're spending a lot of time on um you know every every two weeks or even every week we're having workshops on lbtqi or aboriginal first nations and, and cultural immersion to to kind of to, to make the world and make us better at what what who we are and what we're doing that sounds pretty interesting actually i, I like um in particular your comment there around recycle reuse and and um i think there's a in, in society we don't do enough of that so if we live in a throwaway world where if you don't you know something's broken you throw it away get something new um 
I, mean, I was going to ask the question, actually, if someone does return a mattress before 120 days, I mean, my mattress is pretty comfortable, I don't think I'd do it, but, but if someone does, what happens to it? But it feels like you, you, there's, a, there's a pathway that gets um, upcycled almost and, and, and finds a second home. Yeah, I mean, it depends what condition it's in and whether we can re we can reuse it. Um, but we do break if we can't reuse it, like say somebody's, I don't know, done the gardening on the mattress and then we can't like resell, <laughs> resell that, then then we would like use the parts elsewhere and it goes off to yeah. to another another avenue to to be reused. Cool. And in that thing with disruption, you know, how, how far do you go? I mean, you know, in prep for this, I was having a look at the ranges and it's and it definitely seems to keep evolving, Emma. But you know, can you keep disrupting or or do you kind of start to mature as a business? Um, I think well, you know, we started as five bit mattresses, now we've got three hundred and nearly four hundred products, different products, and that's in a kind of short window. We were one category, we're 13 categories or one country, we're now three countries, we were one platform. We were a website in Australia. Now we've got them around the world, but we've also in marketplaces like Amazon and Rakuten in 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 Japan. And you know we're bringing more and more award-winning products. So we were all about mattress, but now we're winning endless awards for our furniture, but particularly sofa beds, which we've got an award-winning range of, of sofa beds. And we're evolving how we serve. Our, our customers and we are going to keep you know that's the plan we're going to keep innovating in in products that we bring but also service so we're going to keep disrupting in that way and that that's the fundamental way on mm. underneath that but on top of that we've got our own in-house which is quite unusual we've got our own in-house creative team and you know we're we're working with them and, and we're still disrupting we keep winning awards for campaigns so for example, recently like this year when the WA border reopened in March, we relaunched our sofa bed campaign and we renamed it the McGowan sofa bed. And we said that with a headline, <laughs> with a headline of <laughs> it opened and closes in seconds. And then they had like lots of like little product descriptors which said really welcoming when open on retracts at a drop of a hat and um, built to withstand large, large amounts of pressure. So kind of, you know, it, it was a massive hit. We grew sofa bed sales and they're, you know, and even McGowan himself wrote to us and said that he liked the joke and it was yeah. it was fun. So, so there's, you know, we've, you know, it's not, um, you know, last week we closed the site for good on um, National Koala Day and we diverted all our traffic to WWF. Um, to drive awareness of the plight of the, the koala. So we're, we're always looking at things to, to do. And I don't think you can, it's not easy and you've got to keep digging deep to find those things. But, um, you know, they're still there and we're just finding new content to re-engage with our, our shoppers. And, and that does mean like not, it doesn't all work. It's not all great. And, mm. you know, it, it's finding those that that, that do. One of our other clients is Meat and Livestock Australia, and uh, I love what they do every year with their lamb campaign. Um, so it's like iconically Australian, and uh, it, it's, there's some similarities in terms of the cheekiness uh, around what they do with what, you, with what uh, Koala does. I wonder if you use the same agency. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> some of the same creative uh, thinking there. But um, so, so you know, you're seven years in. It's it's year after year growth which is fantastic but things must go wrong when you're trying stuff emma in a business as a disruptor not everything's going to be a winner you know and when stuff goes wrong how, how does a business like koala cope 
Well, if things do go wrong, because not every campaign wins and not every product you launch is, is successful. And, and after everything I've said and the speed of what we're doing things, this may kind of be counter to that after everything I've said. But I guess, you know, test and learn is part of our culture. But I'd also say we don't love failure and we probably hang on a little bit too long before we kind of concede and well once we do then we're quick to adapt and we adjust but we kind of I think there's a wanting to succeed thing and it's it, that's hard to take and um, it's probably our growth area to be better and move on quicker when things that 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 don't work but you know it's part of the makeup we have to do that to to do what we do it's interesting it almost sounds like um you you liken it to like a sports person you know, there's a stubbornness around comp- being competitive to win, but sometimes that stubbornness can take you down the wrong path too far. So that's the that's the kind of thing to work on within the business. You feel, um, yeah, in- in- interesting, interesting. Now, as sales director, year on year growth must come with a, um, a a bit of pressure as well. That the, the kind of the percentages to grow, you know, if, every year. You know, you know, again. The bigger you are, it's harder to kind of knock out the park in terms of the scale of the growth. Um, how does that? How do you kind of manage expectation as a sales director around that? Well, um, first of all, we all agree. You know, we we uh, define the targets. We all agree to the targets, and and you know, we're all working to achieve them. So I guess it it feels like shared pressure, shared and team love because we're all gunning towards that. And it's it's together with our performance channel leads. And by that I mean marketing performance channel leads and country manager leads and and working with them to those those same those same goals, I guess. And you know, predict oh, sorry, just pre- predicting the time of like that's hard. Predicting how long we're going to grow at what rate is is tricky and you know I don't have the perfect answer we've just got to make the best get best estimates with the information that that we've got and the plans we've got coming I wonder with someone with your background who's got this you know finally honed analytical skill set and when you kind of that comment there you're kind of making the best guess on estimate that must be quite hard for for you to take a little bit but at the same time it feels that that's a big adaption for you which is being able to kind of you know, say, well, there's only so much analysis we could do, then we've got to actually just go with gut and kind of look at the trend and kind of, um, you know, not base everything on 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 the numbers, which which is often the case in FMCG down to the finest, the, you know, point. Yeah, I mean, you get markers and indicators like your conversion on your site or your sessions on your site or what's happening in the macroeconomic and you've got to kind of use those to but then in some cases we haven't launched that product before we haven't played in that category before and you know it, it's about kind of comparing it to something similar and and you know it's not always right it's it's the best we can do with the information yeah. we've got now, your career your experience has bred as we've talked about and continues to broaden you mentioned a second ago you, you're also part of this technical team which is kind of bringing commercial thinking uh, to, to the technical parts of the business. Now, um, is that something that you've driven or is that something that Koala said, you know, we want to, we're, we're pushing you to broaden them. How, how does that work? In what mean? You mean like in... Um, so for example, different? yeah, so you, I think you, you you mentioned you kind of, is it like a cross-functional e-com digital team that you're yes. also yes. involved in? And that feels 
not the normal spot for a sales director to be in. Now, of course, your business is different. It's an econ business. But um, is that a kind of a role that you said, hey, I want to get some of that. that that's interesting for me. Or, or does Koala push you down and do, you know, to ensure that you keep broadening your perspective and your role? Um, I guess I don't feel pushed, but I think if you think in terms of e-commerce, it has a highly technical component. So to win in e-commerce, you have to understand the technical components of that and what's involved and, and how that works. And, you know, it is a bit like a funnel. There's a lot of things we want to do on the site and we have only so much time and resource to, to do that. So it's about working with the tech teams to find the best commercial outcomes that will deliver the best sales sales results. So it, it's more linked to commercial and sales than it is in a traditional bricks and mortar yeah. Um, company because it, it does drive you know things that you change positioning a product somewhere how, what product you prompt can can change your sales sales results so yeah it, it does play a big role yeah I th- and I think just hearing you talk it's so different to the traditional sales director role in a really good way because it's a completely different business and and, and you know a testament to you stepping out and changing your path and kind of this is where you've got to as a result of that, taking those risks and broadening. I think it's fantastic to see, you know, where, where you're at right now. And I want to talk a bit next, Emma, about just advice for others who are perhaps thinking, wow, that's a journey. I would love to replicate even part of that. For those thinking that or in that kind of mindset, what would your advice be? How should they start it? Um, I think, well, first of all, work out why you want to do that thing. So like if, you know, What's driving you, and 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 why, and 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 then if you do narrow it down to what areas or what what industries or what skill set that you're looking to get, and then maybe even like why can't I get it where I am, or can I create it where I am? Because because moving's what like it's not always about moving; it's about growing. So can you can you do that within that? And then I'd suggest like you know you you build your network or you you call on your network of friends, contacts, recruiters, and explore those possibilities to to how to 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 do that. And then and find those partners that are gonna kind of support you and help you on that journey. And then once you've done that, you you set your plan out and you keep going. And yes, you're gonna get rejected, and you just keep keep going until you till you get and can shape something that's going to work work for you my advice um to add to that as well would be to to actually look to examples like yourself and, and others of you in this podcast who have whose paths are different and who have broadened and to use those case studies to help break down the barriers. Because when you get an objection within your current business, it could be just that they haven't thought in those terms before, or a recruiter who's not seen that done. But if you're actually able to point to examples of where people have done that successfully, increasingly so, and the trend is going that way, then I think it makes it really real. It's not a theory. It does happen. It does work. It can be successful. And I think you're, uh, um, you know, should be an expiring example of that, Emma. Um, so the, and so I genuinely believe that. And I think, um, you know, so don't just stick at the theory, guys. You know, um, you know, describe Emma's career path and look at the role she's doing just now. That's something you could do. Now, I'm curious, too, because you 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 kind of banked a fair degree of experience in this traditional path before you stepped off, as we said, right at the start of the conversation. For you, that was the right stage, the right time. Is it is it, you think, important for someone to kind of get that bank of experience to a point first before they start moving laterally and broadening? Or, or could it happen any time? Personally, I think it's any stage. Um, I, I just wouldn't restrict anybody by their age or 
career level or time time in role. I mean, there are always trade-offs to what decisions that you make and you need to work those through whether they're the right for you and, and what's important. But I mean, we get what we don't get one career. You can have multiple careers, we get one life and one shot. So I I think if if it feels time to change, then then and you can do it, and you've you've worked all the trade offs out, then then go for it. What are you waiting for? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like any risk in life. I remember um, when I was in my mid twenties, and uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, and I decided to take a year out and go travelling. And everyone said to me, "I wish I could do that." My answer was always, "Well, why don't you?" You know, it's sometimes you just got to take a risk and. You know uh, what? What's the worst can happen? It's one life, live it. Now, um, I also think people listening to this conversation today, or uh, uh, you know, they've got a great podcast listenership, will be kind of going. I'm inspired by Emma, but I really like what I hear about Koala too. So, a little bit of a kind of inside track. What, what you talked about, no souls, but um, what, what do what do you look for, and how do you go about finding it during a recruitment process in terms of finding that person that's going to fit the Koala uh, mold? Well, I guess what they're what they're looking for is like people that can actively demonstrate like resilience, adaptability from their past experience, and and that paired with kind of lack of ego, and it's like kind of critical in like surviving and thriving in a startup environment where you're working extremely collaboratively at a crazy pace is kind of not time for, for for other things so I think that's the key the key key thing so because all the rest of it gets in the way of getting stuff done so that's what they'll they're looking for and that they'll be looking for in that that process and this is tested throughout every stage of the process through through the case study through the stakeholder interviews and you know that's that's kind of the the key of what they're they're looking for and how that what the questions they'll be asking to to, to bring that out and um, yeah I'd say that's that's kind of the key the key things from 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 my perspective through any interview process any selection process no matter what the company being able to one understand what they're looking for so that's really useful advice is is uh is great and if you're going to any recruitment process and you're not sure what they're looking for then you probably shouldn't be entering the recruitment process you should be clear to a point on, on, on what you what you're aiming at and then you build you know you assess your narrative you think well is that me and and if it is then how do I make sure that I land those messages in, in a way that is memorable you know and that's being able to storytell and bring your examples to life um we've got a great guide guys on this uh, um called uh, getting yourself interview fit um so um not just for a koala but for any role or process you're getting into being interview fit is a really important skill because it means you're spending less time worrying have I done a good interview and you're more focused on okay um is koala right for me or is company x right for me um what, what else you know should someone do to prepare for an interview with 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 koala or recruitment process is there things that you've seen uh, that impress you where someone's gone above and beyond or just brings a mindset that demonstrates the prep they've done I think it's really about least like same things that apply to most interviews is what you've said, but do your research and and be ready to tell them why why you identify and you can align with what Koala's mission and vision is, like how you can demonstrate that um, is, you know, they, they do send out tips and tricks to all candidates of how to perform well, well in the interview. And the case uh, study challenge is critical because you're given a real workplace scenario challenge that we've got 
at the moment in the in the business so that's your opportunity and you get time to prepare for that it's your opportunity to demonstrate how you can apply that thinking and your vision and align to the vision and values throughout throughout that so i i definitely think that's a way to kind of to bring that to life i love yeah. that they said uh, hints and tips on how to interview that is so rare that's what we do as recruiters so so uh, um because so many people aren't prepared and 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 great candidates often don't get selected because they don't interview well and so i think that is that is really empathetic and collaborative to, to no love it very good now finally back to you so sales director of koala great journey to that position and i love your career so far where do you go next well, think first of all, I'm thinking about a long holiday in Hawaii somewhere, maybe with some cigars or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but for me, you know, I've still got a lot of learning to do in in, in e-commerce, and I want to develop and grow within within that space. And I have also explored like, would I ever flip back to big business and take all the things I've learned in startup and e-commerce, and can can that be uh, applied back? And how would how would that work? That's an exploration maybe for another day. Um, but at whatever whatever path, I definitely want to work somewhere that is uh, I'm aligned to the values. That wants to make the world like a better place and a more sustainable place and whatever I do that will be at the at the core. Can't wait to see where you uh, go in the future I've got a big job in front of you in Koala I'm sure that journey will continue for quite some time to come. Um, that's uh, that's us out of time thank you so much for just sharing your insights, really honest conversation, great insights into a business like Koala. I think a lot of people look and ad- admire the kind of um, the success uh, over the last seven years of, of an Aussie business really disrupting the market. So, and, and the role you're now playing that, which is brilliant. Now, guys, Emma's our 52nd guest. Uh, you can catch the previous 51 on our podcast, Your Future in Sales and Marketing, available on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. Um, next up in the incubator is John McLaughlin. Now, John is the CEO of the Advantage group a must listen session for anybody interested in how the tag report works particularly for those in that retailer supplier landscape across the kind of fmcg liquor world you'll all be aware of your tag score listen in you might get an opportunity to figure out how to improve your tag score and why it's so embedded uh, in that society um, before we finish up a small pitch for axr our sales and marketing recruitment team is now two and a half years old we're delighted by the support that our, our leaders have given us in terms of our clients all the future leaders are candidates and so much so we're looking for to hire two more consultants and i'd love you guys anybody anybody you know in your network at that kind of graduate um to two years early stage career who's smart curious energetic ambitious please send them uh, my way we've got a great uh, environment in our business too so that's the pitch for axr please dm me if you know anybody but uh, emma thank you again that was absolutely superb really enjoyed the conversation thank you very much mike thank you for having me and thanks everyone for listening thank you Guys, see you all again in the Sales Marketing Director Incubator in two weeks' time. All the best. Have a great day. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast from AXR Recruitment and Search. We're passionate about helping you get the most out of your sales and marketing career. Keep listening as we bring you more inspiring journeys and advice from Australia's sales and marketing leaders. You just can't get this career insight anywhere else. My name is Mike Dixon. See you next time your future in sales and marketing.